Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Do you find being outside in nature beneficial from a mental health perspective? There's lots of evidence out there that proves spending time in the outdoors can be beneficial in so many ways. And Lily has some really cool data from a professor at Carleton University that shows even recordings of outdoor noises can be beneficial. And if that's not enough, we have Alexandra Yutadir, yeah, my oldest daughter, joining us again on the program. She's a registered psychotherapist. She practices mindfulness in the outdoors, and she's going to be talking to us about why she loves to take clients into the outdoors as part of their therapeutic treatment. What a great time to be outside. No bugs, fresh air, not too hot, not too cold. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Come on, Lewis, let's go find Lily. Did you know? Lily, wasn't that long ago that we were talking about the feeling awe? But what do you got for us today? Okay, well, this is like, you know, kind of the same thing. Yeah? Uh, so according to research published in the National Academy of Sciences, the whoosh of wind through a stretch of forest... Birds calling to one another as they land on branches, the gurgle of a brook over a rocky bed. These are the the kinds of sounds that are not only calming, but could also have profound health and well-being benefits. But according to new data, even listening to recordings of nature can boost mood, decrease stress, and even lessen pain. You know, I'm all for, you know, the idea that being in nature... And sounds can really help you reset your mood and get rid of stress and all of that. But I'm not sure if I believe that can be done with a recording. Well, um, one of the studies reviewed that investigated the health benefits of natural sound had study participants listening to recordings of outdoor sounds in laboratory settings. Participants reported less stress and improved health outcomes like decreased pain after listening to the recordings of nature sounds. Water sounds such as, you know, like the, the gurgling river or the, the waterfall, tended to be the, the most effective at improving positive effect, while bird sounds were best for lowering stress. I believe what they say about bird sounds, because, you know, for years I worked downtown. I would walk in the morning and walk home uh, at the end of the day, and, you know, you're walking out of the city, out of the downtown core of the city after a busy day. It wasn't until I got in our neighborhood and all the sounds of the traffic were gone and I heard bird sounds for the first time that my stress level would actually dissipate and I think it was because it called me to think outside my head and then I thought oh yeah, birds and then I, the, I could feel my stress level just melt away. Well uh, the study's lead author Rachel Buxton a research associate and conservation biologist in the Department of Biology at Carleton University in Ottawa says she isn't surprised by the findings Buxton says, from an evolutionary perspective, humans are hardwired to attend to signals of danger and security, and an environment that is filled with natural sounds feels safe and allow us to let down our guard. For sure. You know, the sounds of busy roads, even if I'm outside and walking across busy roads, my anxiety level just went up, right? It's, you know, you need to have the silence before you can hear nature's sounds. A recent review about the effects of nature sounds on health used a range of sounds recordings such as uh, thunder, wind, insects, and frogs, as well as ample birdsong. 
The recordings were played for participants in lab settings in 11 countries, and the most significant outcome linked to the recording was decreased stress and annoyance. Well, decreased annoyance. Um, (laughs) Many participants, they also reported decreased pain and improved moods, and Uh they, they performed better on cognitive tests. So though many of the other studies show that being in nature is good for health and well-being, the review more specifically points to the benefit of natural sounds and that recordings seem to be just as effective as the real thing. No doubt more research is needed, you know, to determine effective nature sounds on health and well-being, in particular if there's a specific quantity of sound that's best Hmm. or if certain sounds yield more benefit than others. For example, you know, is, is it better to have numerous types of bird songs plus water sounds, or is there a point where that it begins to feel like white noise? You know, in a study in Japan designed to evaluate whether exposure to nature could help counter some of the negative effect of time indoors showed that even a view outside can be helpful if nature is involved. Uh, the researchers looked at 3,000 people in Tokyo and, and found that both seeing greenery from a window and going outside... Wow. It helped improve a major mental health like depression, happiness, self-esteem, and loneliness. So we know then that they're saying recordings of outdoor sounds, seeing the outdoors through your window can all give you beneficial effects. But are they just as good as actually being in the outdoors? Uh, Research undertaken by Buxton's group shows that you don't really need to head out on a camping trip or even hike to get the benefits of nature. Even a short break filled with natural sounds and sights can be a refresher for the brain. I think, well, my personal theory on this is like, it's more like a grounding, a regrounding, a mindfulness, like a bringing you back to what humans are at their most basic core levels, which is kind of, you know, it's animals, right? So it's like, we like to be outside. I, I There's that too. But I know just when I take the dogs for a walk and I, and I go through the park at some point and then we meet all sorts of other people with dogs, that to me can help lower my stress and put me in a positive sense because everyone's out there walking with their dogs and everyone's so happy and you know you're talking about dogs and just have a nice day and the weather a bit it's 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 nice it's um having that contact right is also beautiful yeah well you know buxton speculates that um being outside and walking around is probably Mm. being more active but uh research publishes in science reports found that people who spent just two hours a week outside in a natural setting so um town parks state parks woodland beaches you know the the whole shebang uh, they reported greater well-beings compared with people who spend less time outdoors and researchers funded by the world health organization involving more than eight million people from seven different countries that's a lot of people yeah showed that people who lived near or in green spaces Mm -hmm. tended to live longer you know than those who didn't have any green spaces or outdoors it can actually add years to your life that's amazing yeah and you know there's a thing called uh forest therapy so Uh It forest therapy is it's a mindful healing and connective practice. It's inspired by the Japanese practice of Shinrin Yoku, which translates into forest bathing. Uh, spending time in nature not only strengthens human immune responses and reduces stress, but also makes us more creative, mindful, and content in our lives. I did that at a spa with Allie. Oh, yeah. Forest yeah. bathing one. Forest bathing. Yeah. Well, you were actually bathing in outdoor hot tubs. No, they were they were splashing hot water full of eucalyptus oil at us. And oh. they're like, imagine you're in a boreal oh. forest. Oh, wow. Well, you know what? I, I agree, though. You know, it's 
you can hear it, you can see it, yeah. but if you feel it, smell it, taste it all over your body, all over your, you know, all your senses, it's much more of an immersive experience and, and much more powerful. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get your sister Alexandra on the phone. She's done a lot of this sort of mindful outdoor sort of research and, and, and practices it. Yeah. And we went to that spot together to do the forest bathing. So <laughs> she's, re- she's an expert, but she, you know, she also has her, uh, masters in psychology and spirituality she's a a registered and practicing psychotherapist and she really likes being outdoors like so much that i can't really hang out with her if it's not outside oh no that's what she does in all her free time she likes to get away outdoor adventures alexander welcome back to outdoors with uh, your dad lawrence gutther your daughter uh, happy to have you back on the show. And today we're talking about outdoor mental health and mindfulness. And you've got a lot of experience in this area. Where did that all come from? Hey, Dad. Thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, well, I guess a lot of it came from you. You exposed me to uh, the outdoors from an early age. And I would say that over time, I um, developed my own relationship with nature. So I did spend a lot of time, you know, doing some traveling and doing hiking trips and things like that. And in regards to mindfulness, that's something that I also explored through my own uh, studies, but I, I trained in a, uh, in Zen Buddhism for a little bit. I also trained in yoga for many, many years and did uh, an extensive yoga teacher training and did some travels to India to study at schools there. Um, I have a, a master's in uh, psychotherapy, counseling, and spirituality that combined mindfulness in a unique way from a psychological perspective, but also from the spiritual tradition. Throughout my studies in university, I focused a lot on mindfulness, and I currently incorporate it into my work as a psychotherapist and with clients as a treatment modality. So what is mindfulness? So mindfulness is something that we all experience. You can think of it, uh, oftentimes we might think of it as a practice, so something that we're doing. We are uh, using our attention, our, our faculty of attention, to just be aware of what's happening right now in our experience, whether that's uh, physical sensations or thoughts, um, or whether that's just the act of being attentive, being aware. So that's the practice part, something that you can do, but it's also a trait, something that we can cultivate. Is it about the here and now? That's the way I understand it. It's really just that. It's just being here and now. But um, how that to actually do that, because oftentimes our ability to kind of be present and not get lost and taken away by our thoughts Um or the narrative that's running in our experience is very small. So you'll, if you actually try to do that, to just kind of drop into being here and now and noticing, uh, you'll start to see that you don't do that too often. The, the implications for your own experience are huge, actually. But it's such a simple thing to just be here and now, and yet it can have a huge impact on us. I think I learned that a lot from my guide dog trainer over the years who says dogs live in the here and now. We often think that dogs are planning and plotting and thinking, you know, two or three steps ahead, but they're really not. They're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this and then this will come. And and it's really about immediate gratification or, or fear or whatever is going on in their environment. 
at that moment and to assume that dogs are thinking further, you know, plotting and planning is, is just wrong. So we, we can learn a lot from our dogs about being in the time and place. That's right. I agree with that. That's probably why people benefit so much from having pets because pets remind us and kind of help us to return to being here and now. And instead of what we're often doing and what research says is that we're often not here and we're not really focused on what's going on. We're thinking ahead or we're dwelling on the past. And so animals help us to remember to kind of come back here and just enjoy where we are and not uh, go into worrying or planning as much. It's not, you know, it's not helpful to do that all the time. We, we're missing out on our lives if we're not able to be here and now. And similarly, uh, you know, to dogs, nature offers us that opportunity to, it reminds us, it's a good pointer, just like a dog, a pointer back to presence. Oh. So when we are in nature and we're practicing mindfulness, is it me or is it common for people to feel very insignificant, very small in nature? Yeah, yeah, they talk about that in the research that, you know, being in nature offers us the opportunity for different perspectives. One of those being um, like a kind of a, a sense of our own smallness in the face of the bigger picture of life. And another one being a sense of awe, maybe, or enrapture, a little bit of a sense of mystery of life. So those two pieces are pretty interesting uh, and, I would say, a key part of the human experience uh, to be able to reflect on ourselves as part of everything and then also to reflect on what that means. Our ears, our, our, our taste buds, our noses, our mouths, our eyes, all our senses. But we, we often, you know, dress against experiencing all that. And we put out earbuds and, and cover up as much as possible and become scientists out there. We just observe. But I think we need to be more vulnerable. Is Would that be accurate? Mm -hmm. To be more vulnerable to it is a nice way of saying that because yeah, you have to be receptive and you have to get a, a little bit out of that uh, doing mentality where we're trying to achieve something or control our experience. So when we're not controlling our experience, the opposite of that is a vulnerability and openness. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's such richness in that. And sometimes they talk about that as a bit of attention retraining so that we're retraining this ability to actually to increase our attention span, to open that up so that it's we can perceive more of what's happening in this moment. Wow. You know, it, it, it's true. Like all of a sudden things happen in, in nature and, and you think, wow, I never saw that coming or I didn't anticipate that. And it just totally profoundly reshapes your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, you know, that's like the interesting thing about nature is that it might be something, you know, that's really startlingly beautiful and, and kind of strikes you, you and really grabs your attention. But a, a lot of nature is kind of what they call like a soft capturing of our attention to it. So it's a bit effortless. In the research of environmental psychology, they point out these things, uh, patterns that you see visually or in sound uh, or feeling that just easily kind of capture our attention but in a really and uh, not not a demanding way but many different benefits health benefits and uh, psychological benefits as well it seems to rejuvenate us so Allie, give us a few tips on how to be more mindful in nature 
So I would say that uh, one thing that I think is helpful to know is that research indicates that the amount of time that you need to spend in nature to receive some of those benefits, those psychological health or social benefits is really small. So even just 10 minutes going on a quick walk somewhere um, in your neighborhood, even that does have more natural elements it is enough. And so it doesn't need to be something that you make a big deal about. It, finding time maybe a little bit every day is really helpful. And then another part of that would be having an intention around it. So during that time, you say, you know, I'm not going to be on my cell phone. I'm not going to um, be thinking about what I have to do after this or worrying about the past. So you carve out this this little window and you set an intention around it. You just are there and you you breathe and you notice what's happening through your senses and you just kind of keep returning to that that's the real trick with mindfulness is you'll definitely notice that your mind will start to wander and it will wander frequently and you don't need to be um, worried about that because it is it's just a redirecting of attention that you're not we're not used to we're not trained to kind of in our society retain it an open state of awareness we're often jumping from thing to thing it's not a personal deficit if you if you have trouble just staying in that mindfulness state it, 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 we're all weak in that area then that's right yeah and i think that's what people get probably get really frustrated about they think well this is too hard or it's not effective it's not gonna, it's not really something that i enjoy doing it can be a bit challenging to practice that return reminding ourselves to come back to the moment and to just feeling what we're feeling whether that's internally emotions or and externally but with this the important part of mindfulness is that it's all with a state of acceptance and uh non-judgment that's another key piece there so it's not about you not being good at this it's not about you liking the feeling of you know the wind on your skin or it's too cold or you're you know all of a sudden you remember something that bothers you the key is immediate letting all of that your experience be there without controlling it and saying whether it's bad or good and um that in itself has huge implications for our well-being not going into that judgment which we're so used to doing thanks so much alexander this has been fascinating as you plan your walking path in green spaces around your neighborhood here's a little more information that Dave Brown and I talked about on his show, Now with Dave Brown, regarding air quality. Researchers at the University of British Columbia have found that the air pollution from major roads leads to a higher risk of developing Parkinson's and dementia. Meanwhile, living near green space can have protective effects. Our environmental expert, Lawrence Gunther, joins us now on the line from Ottawa. Well, Lawrence, let's uh, get into the nitty-gritty of this. Tell us more about what the researchers were looking for and how they went about it. Well, I think this is really relevant to people who walk, like people with visual impairments, right? We do a lot of walking. We can't mm. just get into our car in our garage, open the electric door, and drive away in a you know a little bubble of protected, filtered air. You know, we're outside a lot, walking yeah. around. So this is a relevant study, I think. I mean, what they did is they wanted to find out if 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 it's a problem living near major roads, like I'm talking super busy roads or highways. So within 50 meters of a major road or within 150 meters of a highway, whether there's green trees and parks around or not, 
And uh, what that means for people between the ages of 45 and uh, 65 and 84. So the, no, it was 45 to 84. So they looked at people within a 20-year span of life over 10 years. And that was almost 700,000 participants took part in this study mm. between the ages of 45 and 85 over 10 years. So that's a big sample. I think you touched on why a study like this is important specifically for individuals who might be from the blind low vision community who are spending mm. that time, uh, a lot of time on foot. I know I'm walking up and down Don Mills uh, every day now with lots of cars uh, zooming and zipping by. But more generally, why is a study like this one important? Well, they find that uh, neurological disorders is one of the top leading disabilities now in, in Canada, right, and, and around the world. So things like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, non-Alzheimer's uh, dementia, those are four of them. And these are the four they looked at in this study. So they were looking at, you know, how is that related to sort of fine particulate matter like Brake dust. Every time you put on the brake, you know, your brake shoes wear down and that creates dust and all these brake shoes are made with, you know, just metals and crap mm. steel wool and, you know, all sorts of nasty stuff or just rubber, you know, tires wear out on cars and all that rubber dust is going in the air. And then the breakdown of the pavement itself is and, and the dust and the salt on the roads is all being swept up into the air by wind and the movement of vehicles. So all this fine particulate matter. Plus nitrogen dioxide and nitric oxide, which is coming out of the, the tailpipes of these vehicles, that's all sort of chemicals that's adding and mixing with all the dust and fine particulates and creating all sorts of other uh, you know, additives and things that we're breathing in. So what does that all that mean for our lungs and our, and our, our neurological functioning? I think I think we uh, alluded to the results a little bit in the intro, but maybe we can get a bit mm. more into depth about what the researchers actually discovered. Well, they never found a big correlation between Alzheimer's levels and um, and uh, multiple sclerosis. But they said uh, for Parkinson's, it was a, a 7% increase. And for uh, dementia, non-Alzheimer's dementia, it was a 14% increase. So that w that's pretty significant, right? That's a big jump. Uh, but, but if you're surrounded by trees, if you have a lot of trees on your street, or if you're near a big uh, park with lots of trees, that goes down again. So there you go, folks. I mean, you can live near a bigger road, but if you locate yourself or you walk on streets or you locate yourself near a park where there's lots of trees absorbing that, uh, mm. those chemicals, that fine particulate matter, that can really clean the air for you. So, so you know, it's good to have uh, greenery on our streets. It's good to have forests and trees growing on our streets and, and having green spaces. And it's probably a good idea, too, to, you know, keep roads away from uh, residential areas, from schools, uh, you know, to push them out a bit. And if you have the choice, you know, think about, too, is are you living downwind from a big, a busy street or a, or a highway? Are you living upwind? I mean, we know the winds are normally sort of like in a westerly direction. So if we can stay upwind from some of these roads when we're making our housing choices, think about that, too. This is all stuff we can't see and we don't necessarily smell, uh, it, but it's all in the air. And, um, you know, visualize those those wind patterns, visualize the road uh, patterns in relation to where you're thinking of moving and, and try to create that map in your head saying, well, you know what, it might cost me a little bit more to live upwind or live a, a little bit further away or, or near some green space. Or maybe I'll ha have a slightly smaller um, apartment or condominium 
But in the end, you know, neurologically, your health will uh, benefit. Uh, Lawrence, what do you think that says also about the importance in urban design? Uh, I know that I'm I'm still mm. struggling a bit uh, since making the move to Toronto with a lot more kind of gray concrete uh, coming from a city like Ottawa, where there's kind of green space at every corner. Uh, what does that say about the importance of urban design? Because so often we have you on and we're talking about either the, the health of the ocean or the health of lakes and rural environments. But when we're thinking about environmentalism, how important is it that we're thinking about the urban spaces well you know living in a city you think there's you know there's cars in the city but if you go to new york city there's not a lot of car traffic in the heart of the city london same thing i mean they they deliberately create those inner core areas those inner urban areas to be car less right take public transit if you need to take a car take a taxi but mostly people walk or they take public transit and we need to think more about that when we're designing our urban spaces making them more pedestrian friendly you know it's not just for people who can't drive it's for just a better quality of life less noise pollution less um, what we know now is is particulates and gases that cause neurological disorders uh, just a better quality of life uh, you know living uh, separating the car from where we live so and then we introduce green space into that you know we're talking about buildings putting green roofs on buildings so we grow things instead of just you know flat gravel up on the roof of these flat buildings we can grow things up there trees and bushes and make gardens up there instead of pavement and concrete use bricks and plant trees around those bricks you know even if those trees won't reach full maturity which is quite often the case in a city you can keep planting a tree and it might grow for 20 25 years it might not become an old grandma or grandpa tree but you know they just keep replacing them and i think we need to push for that more and say look it, it's it's not just uh for the visual beauty we want it too because it's for our health we all want to be in the outdoors but are our bodies ready to take on that uneven terrain that can quickly put an end to our independent mobility take time to work on your flexibility strength and agility before heading outdoors make sure you have the right footwear even if you're a guide dog user bring a hiking pole and don't forget walk like a cat and the balls of your feet where your foot is widest and you're least likely to turn an ankle. You don't need to be a hardcore survivalist to spend time in the outdoors. Pick outdoor spaces that match your fitness level. Start slow, master the movements before taking on the big physical challenges. It's about technique just as much as it is about strength. By the way, if any of you guys have information or experiences to share about mountain biking on tandem bikes on trails please do share i want to thank nazreen abdel majid the manager of ami audio is andy frank the walrus is canada's conversation and you're invited to take part download ami's voices of the walrus where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.